Welcome to the Relationship Church Podcast. This is our midweek service where we dive deeper into the Word of God, studying the Bible together as a body. We invite you to grab your Bibles, open your minds, and prepare to search the Scriptures with us. We are Relationship Church, the Whole Life Church. Handle's Soulful Messiah, uh, for those who uh, remember that project back in the early 90s. I uh, like to listen to it when I get a chance, uh, especially around this time of year. Uh, though some of the sounds and things are dated, it's still an excellent, excellent project. Uh, it really brings glory uh, to God because it, it causes us to focus on who he is and why he came to earth which is uh, right in line with what we are going to study today. Um, Not sure how long ago, but not too long ago, uh, Lord put on my mind and my heart a um, kind of a series of studies, uh, all with the same underlying premise. Back in the day, uh, early 2000s, little uh wristbands were really really popular uh with the letters wwjd which excuse me we know is what would jesus do so just something to remind everyone hey as you're going through life and you're doing things are you doing it the way that jesus would do it because jesus came and lived the life that he lived on earth not just to die for us but because that could have happened much earlier in his life uh, when um, Herod was was killing all the uh, children. Jesus could have just died then. His blood would have been shed for the people. Uh, but that's not, that wasn't his sole purpose for living was to die. It was also to set forth an example for us. Uh, so instead of WWJD, uh, the, um, I, I don't know if it's acronym, Somebody help me, uh, but using the the letters uh, J-O-E, which is Jesus, our example, Jesus, our example. And the uh, first thing that I began studying or that uh, Lord laid on my heart to study regarding Jesus being our example is the account of Lazarus. So the, the life of Lazarus and, and Jesus is raising him from the dead, looking at Jesus's life, Jesus's actions and pulling our examples from that. Uh, so let's go to um, John, John chapter 14 is where we will find this account. I'm sure it may be in some of the other gospels as well. But this is the place where I studied it. So John chapter 11 is where this is. So as we go there, get my notes back up. There we go. All right. And I'm reading in the uh, New Living Translation today. So. Uh, I'll call out the verses so that everyone knows uh, just where we are, but I'm reading in the New 
Living Translation. Okay. Oh, thought I was logged in. I won't worry about that. Okay. Verse one, and a man named Lazarus was sick. He lived in Bethany with his sisters, Mary and Martha. Uh, this is the Mary who later poured expensive perfume on the Lord's feet and wiped them with her hair. Her brother Lazarus was sick. So the two sisters sent a message to Jesus telling him, Lord, your dear friend is very sick. But when Jesus heard about it, he said, Lazarus sickness will not end in death. No, it happened for the glory of God so that the son of God will receive glory from this. So let, let's park there for a moment. Said that this sickness is not uh, will not end in death. Those of us who are familiar with this passage, we know that Lazarus did indeed die and he was dead, which we'll read a little further in this passage. He was dead for about four days uh, before Jesus showed up. So just in looking at it, it's like, uh, how can you say that this sickness will not end in death when indeed he died? This is why studying uh, the word is so very important. When we look at the word death there, uh, the word death uh, properly is the death of the body. Uh, that separation of the soul from the body uh, by which the life on earth is ended. So when we really look at that, it's the separation of the soul from the body by which life on earth is ended now did his life pause yeah because jesus raised him again four days later you know but was his life terminated was that the end of his life on earth no it was not because he was going to rise again and live uh after that now did he die eventually yeah he did but this death or this what jesus called sleep was not unto his final death here on earth all right let us keep reading verse five so although jesus loved mary and martha he stayed where he was for the next two days let me stop and go back to verse four again uh just as something that kind of put our pen in and keep in mind jesus said that lazarus's sickness was not unto death it wasn't unto his final separation from life on earth but that it was happening for the glory of god so that the son of god will receive glory from this it's very very important there are things that happen in our lives uh deaths that occur uh both naturally and um, metaphorically. And these, these deaths, these losses, sometimes are not to take us out, but it's so that God can receive glory. And as we experience death, as we experience loss, uh, that is the perfect time to, um, to really ask why, but not why, in the sense of 
why am I going through this? Why is this pain here per se? But Lord, what is it that you want to get out of this situation? All right, verse six. He stayed where he was for the next two days. Finally, he says to the disciples, let's go back to Judea. But his disciples objected. Rabbi, they said, only a few days ago in Judea uh, were, let's see, only a few days ago, the people in Judea were trying to stone you. Are you going there again? You know, so they're, they're you know, asking like, hey, Lord, uh, this don't make a whole lot of sense. Why will we go back to the place where they were just trying to kill you? So you're going to go back to where they were trying to kill you. That doesn't make a lot of sense and it doesn't naturally to go back to the same place where people were trying to kill you um you find that account just a chapter back in john 10 where uh it was this time of year actually uh they were gathered together there um for hanukkah it was a time of the hanukkah uh celebration uh so they were gathered there together and the people were like look Tell it to us straight. Are you the Messiah or are you not the Messiah? And he uh, professed that he was the Messiah. Uh, it made them mad. They thought it was blasphemy. They picked up stones to stone him. And he was like, Yo, why are you all going to do what, what are you stoning me for? What good work have I done that you're going to stone me for? He was like, we're not stoning you for your good works. We're stoning you because you're saying you're God. And he went along to say how uh, those who believe in God are little G gods. So why would you be upset that? I'm calling myself the son of God, got out of there, uh, escaped harm. And this is why the disciples are like, we're going back there where uh, where everything was going down. And Jesus lets them know. There are 12 hours of daylight every day. During the day, people can walk safely. They can see because they have the light of this world. But at night, there's danger of stumbling because they have no light then he said our friend lazarus has fallen asleep but i will now go and wake him up you know so jesus is saying to them look i know that there can be danger but the time when it's dangerous is when there's no light out and then this is really uh, it's actual but it's metaphorical as well that when we walk in the light of the lord we don't have to be as concerned about the dangers and things that are out there because his light illuminates our path. It helps us to see what's going on and, and what obstacles and what dangers may be there. But when you go in the nighttime, when you go, when you're walking and you're outside of the light of God, you're outside of his presence, you're no longer under his covering. That's when uh, the dangers of the world can really take hold of you because you don't see them coming because you don't have his presence leading and guiding your way. He's pretty much saying, look, I'm going, I just told you all, this was to bring uh, glory. So we're going because the Lord has us going for the purpose of being glorified. So walking in the light. All right. The disciples said, Lord, if he's sleeping, He'll get well. Uh, he will soon get better. They thought that Jesus meant that Lazarus was simply sleeping, but Jesus meant that Lazarus has died. Uh, so he plainly said, Lazarus is dead. 
again, this is speaking about Jesus being our example. He was going uh, to the places regardless of what it looked like because of God's leading. Uh, he was trusting that the Lord would uh, take care of him and protect him and keep him. And another um, part of his example is that he had people doubting him. You know, his, his disciples were questioning, should we go? Is this right? You know, are you sure, you know, we should be doing this? You know, I know you're our leader, but this doesn't make sense. And not only did he have uh, the people doubting him, but they weren't hearing or believing him. You know, they, 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 they were misunderstanding him so many times. We are misunderstood. We may say things and say them very clearly in our minds, but it's not necessarily received as clearly as we say it. So Jesus made things really plain. He said, look, he's dead. This, this is not just sleep sleep. He's dead. And likewise, when we're misunderstood, We've got to make things plain and clear for others as well. You know, that is the, that's the design of communication. Communication is to give information uh, for others to use. If what you're saying isn't clear, even though it may seem as clear, we need to, to make changes. So Jesus is setting the example that uh, as we speak and we share things with people, if we really want them to know then we will take the steps necessary to ensure that they understand uh, what it is that we're trying to convey. All right, verse 14. Well, and let me stop really quickly. Any questions or any input um, before we move further forward? I just wanted to uh, ask what I think was the Lazarus article already dead by the time they got the message to jesus yeah it I, if he wasn't dead he was near dead because he stayed there for two days then he traveled and the distance that he traveled probably wasn't more than about a day's journey and by the time he got there he had been dead for four days so if he wasn't dead he was knocking on the doorstep of death uh, at the time that the message got to him that's a good point though okay that is a very good point. We, we're going to hold on to that as we go uh, a little further forward. Thank you. Thank you for asking that. That was good. I'm excited now. Um, all right. Verse 14, I believe. Yes. So he uh, plainly told them Lazarus is dead. And for your sakes, I'm glad I wasn't there. For now, you will really believe. Come, let's go see him. Um, you know, and actually let me take a step back. So going back to what we just read, they just got the word that he died and they stayed there for two days. Then they went. And when he said, let's go, he had, all, he was already dead at that point. And again, like I said, the, the trap, the journey couldn't have been more than a day. So yeah, if he wasn't dead, um, he was near dead by the time the word got to them, which again will be very important as we uh, move forward. All right. Uh, Thomas, nicknamed twin, said to his fellow disciples, let's go too and die with Jesus. Now, Thomas, uh, 
like I said, nickname twin Didymus uh, is the name given specifically. He's known for being the one who doubted Jesus. Uh, though he had doubt, he definitely was uh, a believer called uh, to be a disciple. And though he did not believe the disciples when they said Jesus is risen, and when Jesus entered the uh, their presence, he was still somewhat doubtful, which is why the Lord said, here, put your hand in my side where I was pierced. Put your, your uh, fingers in the holes in my hands and in my feet so that you know that he who was dead, you know, lives again. Even though he had that doubt, he at least, <laughs> at least at this point in his life was willing to go and die uh, for Jesus. So I know Thomas gets a bad rap. Um and all the disciples at one point said they would die for him. And, and then they did differently. Uh, but, you know, at least at this point, he was bold enough to say that he would die for the Lord. All right. Verse 17. When Jesus arrived at Bethany, he was told that Lazarus had already been in the grave for four days. Bethany was only a few miles down the road from Jerusalem. And many people had come to console Martha and Mary in their loss. When Martha got word that Jesus was coming, she went to meet him, but Mary stayed in the house. You remember Martha uh, um, is the one who was uh, working hard to get the meal and everything together and was mad at Mary for sitting at uh, Jesus's feet. But when it came, uh, when it came time to meet him and to greet him uh, regarding the death of their brother, he was, she was the first one to go. Martha said to Jesus, Lord, if only you had been here, my brother would not have died. You know, so she is sharing, hey, Lord, I know that if you were here, he wouldn't have died. This is why we sent for you, because we knew if you came, you'd say the word and he'd be healed just as others were healed. Which this goes back to the question that uh, Evangelist Lynn asked about him being dead by the time uh that the word got to him that's very important because even with him being sick by the time he got word had he come at that moment then he may not have died and, and things would have been different he would have been like peter's mother-in-law uh or uh bartimaeus you know or the uh the man by the pool of bethesda would he have been raised from, uh, or I should say, would he have been healed and gone on and had life? Yes. But the kind of glory that the Lord wanted to get out of the situation would not be the same had he just healed him of his sickness versus raising him from the dead. Again, back to uh, the verse that we read earlier that I said to kind of put a pen in. This was all for the glory of God. And there was a specific kind of glory that the Lord wanted to get out of this situation. It was something that was uh, pivotal and key for the disciples as well as, and when I say the disciples, I'm speaking of the 12, um, you know, for, for that set of disciples, as well as all those who believed in him and those who would come to believe in him. All right, uh, verse 22, but even now, I know that God will give you whatever you ask. 
Uh, Jesus told her, you, uh, your brother will rise again. Yes, Martha said, he will rise when everyone else rises at the last day. Jesus told her, I am the resurrection and the life. Anyone who believes in me will live even after dying. Everyone who lives in me and believes in me will never die. Do you believe, Martha? And she says, yes, Lord, she told him. I have always believed you are the Messiah, the Son of God, the one who has come into the world from God. All right, let's unpack this a bit. Martha really gives us a great example of God's love and his care for us. And not just his love and care for us, but him knowing us. She started off saying, Lord, if you were here, he wouldn't have died, showing that she had faith that the Lord could turn things around. And then he said, well, yes, he'll live again. Oh, yeah, yeah, I know. He'll he'll rise in the, in the resurrection. You know, I know about that. But I was saying, you know, just like living now, living this kind of life. He was like, okay, um, you, know, do you, you know, don't you know I'm the resurrection and the life? That if you believe in me that uh, you won't die again, the death being spoken of here is uh, the eternal death. Uh, being separated from God. Um, so, you know, she, you know, he, he's selling that, that, but he's also speaking again, somewhat metaphorically about uh, living again here on earth. And she's like, yes, Lord, I believe you. You know, so she goes from, I believe you to, I doubt you to, I believe you. And again, we really can't fault her regarding this because we do the same thing in one moment. Uh, we'll say that we believe God and we're trusting him. And then we are faced with reality. And so often when we're faced with reality, we don't believe God or we, we tend not to believe him when life happens. It's like, I know what he said, but what I see is nothing like what he said. But we have to remember that Faith is the substance of things hoped for and the evidence of things not seen. Our faith is not based on reality. It's not based on what we can see. If it's something that we can see, we really don't have to have faith in it or for it because we can see it. The key to faith is when everything looks like it's not going to go the way that God said. Are we going to believe what he said or are we going to believe what we see? If we believe what he said, then we are exercising faith. If we're just believing what we see, then we're exercising uh, the exact opposite. We're, we are doubting God and putting our faith, our belief in what's present. All right, let's keep going on um again verse 27 she's professing her belief again 28 then she turned or returned to martha she called mary i'm sorry mary she returned to mary she called mary aside from the mourners and told her the teacher is here and wants to see you now i don't know where that happened it's not recorded but um 
she went to tell her that the master wanted to see her. So Mary immediately went to him again before she Mary heard that he was there. She didn't move. But when she heard that he wanted to see her, she got up and she went. Martha's was different. She heard he was near. She ran to him. Uh, Mary, when she heard the word, she got up and she moved. You know, that that's uh, a good example of, of two different kinds of reactions to hearing of and about the Lord. Um, neither is wrong. And there are different things that we can gain from both examples. Uh, the one thing I'll say about Mary's example specifically, uh, which really is something we need to be mindful of. When we know that the Lord is calling us, when we know he said something, we need to move. We need to move immediately. We need to move uh, expeditiously once we know that he's calling for us to do a certain thing. We, we need to do it uh, with all the vigor and all the uh, strength that he gives us to do those things. All right. Uh, verse 30. Jesus stayed outside the village at the place where Martha met him. When the people who were at the house consoling Mary saw her leave so hastily, they assumed she was going to Lazarus' grave to weep. Remember, uh, the passage said that because they were so close to Jerusalem, a lot of the believers came to visit with and to, to uh, comfort and mourn with Mary and Martha uh, when they heard about uh, his death. So those people that were there uh, mourning and trying to console uh, Martha and Mary jumped up and ran when they saw how Mary jumped up and ran. When Mary arrived and saw Jesus, she fell at his feet and said, Lord, if only you had been here, my brother would not have died. So just like Martha, the statement was, I believe I have full confidence that if you were here, he would not have died. And they're expressing, they're expressing their, um, their sorrow to him for not being there. It's like we are going through this pain and this suffering caused by death. And we know that this was avoidable had you been here. So they, they believed him and they, they knew they knew what God could do they, through Jesus and knew that had he been there, things would have been different. But that wasn't God's plan in this situation, which is why he waited two days after he got the word before he came. And by the time he got there, it had been four days since Lazarus uh, had died and been entombed. Just something that we can take from this again, this is... uh Jesus is our example, but there are other examples that we can gain by studying uh, this passage. It's all right to share with the Lord what your feelings are. They shared it. Hey, Lord, we love you. We are suffering right now because we believe if you had done the things that we wanted you to do, we wouldn't be in this situation. And they were right. If Jesus came immediately when they called, and he got there before Lazarus died, he could have healed him and he would not have died and they would not be going through the things they were going through. But again, the Lord allowed these things to happen so that he will be glorified so that the believers would 
I have even more reason to trust him. Verse 33, when Jesus saw her weeping and saw the other people wailing with her, a deep anger welled up within him and he was deeply troubled. I love using other versions of the Bible to get a better and a deeper understanding of what the scripture says. I've read this passage a number of different times, probably in a number of different uh, versions and more than likely in the New Living Translation as well. But because the word of God is living, you get different things when you read it. And this part about him being angry is something that really jumped off the page. I hadn't really seen that part before that when he got the word, he was angry. Um, you know, and he, he asked him, hey, where have you put him? And they asked, uh, or I should say, he asked, where have you put him? They told him, Lord, come see. And then Jesus wept, which we're going to talk about that in just a moment. But again, this is a very, very familiar passage. But I don't know if anyone else has seen that Jesus was angry. Why was he angry? Why was he upset? Why, why was he troubled? Well, it wasn't the kind of anger that most people would think of when you think of angry. This was uh, th this was a, a, a anger that was like a righteous anger. Uh, reading it in the Amplified version really helps to shine a, a better light on how he was feeling then. The Amplified version says, when Jesus saw her sobbing and the Jews who had come with her also sobbing, he was deeply moved in the spirit to the point of anger at the sorrow caused by death and was troubled. So he was upset, but again, it was a righteous anger. He was upset because of the pain that goes along with death, knowing that before any of them was were even thought of, in the garden, he gave Adam and Eve the choice to choose life, but instead they chose death. And because of choosing death, all of this pain, all of this suffering comes along with it. You know, he, it was a, he, he was crying, he was upset, but again, it was an angry cry. As a matter of fact, the word uh, used there is defined, I snort. And it's like, what? I snort. But it's, it's like, a horse snorting because it's angry. So like, <clears throat> you know, just that kind of, of expression uh, that Jesus had when he saw them weeping and he saw their pain. He had, again, this righteous indignation um, because of the pain that they were experiencing. So verse 35, like I said, it, Jesus wept. The, uh, one of the most famous passages in all of the bible because uh depending on the version you read it in it's the shortest i think in king james is just those two words jesus wept and this time of year this passage uh holds a bit more importance in my life you know because this is the time of year that we get together with our family and our friends and you know we'll, we'll have our, our dinners and things of that nature and I, my family's uh 
we would have a family reunion on Christmas Eve. Haven't done that since COVID, but uh, that had been our uh, our our rhythm for decades. You know, all of our uh, family here in St. Louis, um, on my grandmother's side, we get together on Christmas Eve. And whenever we would pray for the meal, someone will give a scripture. And nine times out of 10, uh, my aunt, who's now the matriarch of our family, um, Bishop Alona Dixon, would give the scripture Jesus wept. And that was because one of our other family members uh, would give that scripture as well, because again, it is the shortest one uh, in the Bible. With Jesus being our example, though, looking at the fact that he wept, that's important. Jesus was angry. Jesus was touched by the the pain of the people. You know, he he felt their pain. He connected with it, and it led him to tears. Now, probably wasn't a boo-hoo cry at this point. As a matter of fact, the word uh, tears there means like to shed tears quietly. You know, so the the tears were rolling down his face. You know, but it wasn't like a, a, a boo-hoo cry. Nevertheless, he was moved to tears by the pain that was caused through death. Likewise, when others are suffering, the Bible says that we are to uh, bear the infirmities of others. So as others are suffering from whatever it is that they're suffering from, our hearts should be moved. We should have a righteous indignation. We should be mad at, at the devil for sin being introduced into the world you know we should be mad at ourselves for you know allowing ourselves to engage in in different things that may have caused harm or hurt to others uh you know but we should also be empathetic with uh or I should say empathize with those who are going through all right uh we don't have too much longer to go the uh this chapter is probably about 60 or so uh, verses, but we're going to stop at like around 49 or so. So about 10, 15 verses to go. Any other? Uh, oh, thank you. I see now. Uh, wasn't it because of their unbelief also? At least based on my study, at this point specifically, he was moved to tears because of the pain of grief. Now, it could have also been because of unbelief, but I I didn't see that at least in my studies for this today. So I'm uh, I'm not saying that 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 is not it or that that could not also be a factor. But that's not something that um, that I found in my studies for this today. Excuse me. What I did find was that it was primarily because of like. Uh, the Amplified Version says he was moved to the point of anger at the sorrow that was caused by death. All right. Great question. Great question. And that was right on time. I was just getting ready to ask uh, if anyone had uh, any questions or statements. So that is good. All right. Let us continue. So ask wherever you put him. They told him here he is. Jesus wept. Uh, the people who were standing nearby said, see how much he loved him. And some said, this man healed a blind man. Couldn't he have kept Lazarus from dying? So again, the overarching theme 
here is, I know you could have done something, Lord, about this. Like we didn't have this pain and this suffering that everyone is experiencing. It's not, it wasn't necessary. Like this could have all been avoided if he had just come to heal. Again, another, uh, another really good point to take from this. Sometimes what we're going through is not necessarily just for us. And we don't go through things for no reason. There's a purpose for our pain. God has a reason for allowing the things to happen that are happening. When we're in the moment, we don't see it. We don't understand it. It doesn't make sense to us. We see what we see. We we understand the pain that we're in and we're so overcome by that. And understandably so. Pain requires our attention. That's part of the reason why it's there is to uh, cause us to pay attention to whatever's causing that so that we can stop that because it is something that will harm us. Absolutely, uh, Ryan. Yeah, we, we have to see it through. We have to go through to the end. We have to believe what God has said. Because we don't, even though we don't see things currently, think about it. Because mo- most of us, we live long enough. We have uh, walked with the Lord long enough to have gone through some things that were at the point that they took place really, really painful, really difficult, like don't make sense at all. But when we're able to look back, once the Lord has brought us through it, as the uh, old uh, song says, we we understand it better by and by, but we got to go through the by and by uh, in order to understand it. All right, uh, let's see. So they talked about see how much he loved him because of uh, the tears that he was shedding and then also saying he could have fixed it, but he didn't. Jesus was still angry when he got to the tomb. So you know, he was walking and he was crying uh, and he was mad, mad because of the sorrow uh, that was brought about uh, by death. So he got to the tomb and he commanded that they roll the stone away. But Martha, the dead man's sister, protested, Lord, he's been dead for four days. The smell will be terrible. So, you know, she's like, look, Lord, um, I, you know, I know you love him. You know, you, you're, you're the master. You know, you're, you're the rabbi. You are a messiah. But uh, he's thinking. I, I don't necessarily know if you really want to have them do that, you know, because because he's thinking. And if anyone had, well, we all have. You'll drive by some roadkill. And you're like, oh, God, that that stinks. That is the smell of rotting flesh. And humans smell the same way. Um, I know all too well because of uh, my time in the funeral services industry. And there was one uh, family that we served where this guy was at home and had died and was there for four days before anyone knew what was going on. I really believe the Lord allowed this to happen uh, to give me this uh, testimony to share 
the guy was like my size in life, you know, not not a big person. But when we finally got him and uh, everything, you know, he was decaying and everything, he blew up to look like he weighed about 250, 300 pounds. That's what he looked like. Looked, Looked like me the last time they saw him was like looking like he was about 300 pounds because of the breakdown and oh my goodness we had to leave a fan running 24 hours a day because the smell was so bad and this was him being in uh in a zippered bag and with us doing things doing what we could to treat him uh to stave off any more of the uh, decomposition but with doing all of that we had to leave the fan running the whole time because the smell was just that bad the minute you hit the door of the church and we kept the um we kept the the remains all the way in the back uh in, in the corner in what was a classroom that we converted into uh a morgue all the way in the back, all the way in the corner. But when you hit the front door, you like, oh, what, what is that? That's how bad the smell is. And that's what happens when someone is dead for four days without any kind of uh, embalming process done to uh, stave off uh, decomposition. You know, so they're like, oh, you know, he he's he's kind of dead lord you know i I don't think you want to do that another something we can take from this though is that she was a prisoner of the present again we talked about you know just a moment ago how what you see though it may be reality and we're all smacked in the face with reality from time to time just because it's real doesn't mean that's the end of things it doesn't mean that what god has said won't still come to pass and though he told her look he's gonna live again take me to where he is don't you believe that he'll live again she, he's giving her all of the 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 word and and all of the uh the things to hold fast to faith wise yeah you believed i could keep him from being sick but do you believe i can raise him again Gave them all of that, but she was a prisoner of the present to the to the point that it was like, don't even roll the stone away, because all she is thinking about is her current pain and not holding to what God said. All right. So he then tells her, it's like, look, didn't I tell you that you would see God's glory if you believed? You know, so he, he chastises her, which, again, Jesus being our example, uh, sometimes we need to. Uh, firmly remind people of what the Lord has said, you know, to hold fast to what he said versus what we see. Our right, verse 41. So they rolled the stone away. Then Jesus looked up to heaven and said, Father, thank you for hearing me. You always hear me. But I said it out loud for the sake of all these people standing here so that they will believe you sent me. Then he shouted, Lazarus, come out, or Lazarus, come forth, depending on the version that you're reading. And the dead man came out, his hands and feet bound in grave clothes, his face wrapped in a head cloth, 
Jesus told them, unwrap him and let him go. All right. So again, Jesus being our example, when he prays, how does he pray? He prays the way that he taught the disciples to pray. The first thing he did was acknowledge who God was. Said, Father, not only are you God, you are our loving Father. You're my Father. And I thank you in advance for hearing me. It's so important that as we approach God, that we start off by acknowledging who he is. It puts us in the proper mind state when we're doing it, because then we won't necessarily go to him recklessly with our things or without the level of respect and honor that we should have for him. So again, our, being our example, when we pray, let's acknowledge who God is. Something else uh, that Jesus teaches us here uh, in these scriptures is what a leader should do. I was just telling someone uh, this today. I was meeting with a colleague and they were asking about different reports that we get and, and going in and uh, making corrections to the errors that we find in those reports. And, you know, they say, oh, well, yeah, I just go in and I, I do it. I was like, well, I have heard a number of times and believe it to be true that leaders are most effective when they focus on doing what only they can do. Could Jesus have rolled the stone away? Yeah, he could have. Could Jesus have unwrapped Lazarus from his grave clothes? Yeah, he could have. But he could is the only one who could call him forth from the grave. He is the only one who knows when they speak that the Lord hears them. So he let the people do what they could do. Wasn't, you know, uh, um, just trying to do it all himself. No, he used the people. He let them do what they could do while he did what only he can do. And we're all leaders. We're leaders in our households. We're leaders on our jobs. We're leaders wherever we go. Keep in mind that the other people are there for a reason. Let them do what they can do because that's how they gain value for the process and for whatever it is that you all are working to accomplish together. You focus on doing what only you can do and empower others to do it. For some of us, that's hard because we have put our faith in faithless people and we've been hurt by that. The Bible talks about uh, trusting in an untrustworthy person. It's like walking on a broken leg. And some of us have had to do that. And it's painful. And we don't want to experience that pain uh, anymore. Sometimes in order to grow, though, you you got to, I mean, it's just like walking and learn how to walk, you're going to fall. And likewise, we can't keep from all bad things happening. Now, there's nothing we can do that's foolproof that'll never have any kind of failure, any kind of pain that's associated with it. As leaders, I would encourage you to hold your people accountable. That's what we should be doing, not taking the stuff away from them, but continuing to hold them accountable to ensure that it gets done. Uh, but focus on doing what only you can do, because when you're focused on that, then again, you can be the most effective. You can uh, get more out of your efforts because you have more strength that's going towards, again, what only you can do versus 
taken away from it and being compromised because you're doing other stuff that someone else could do. All right. Um, let's keep going. And we're almost uh, out of time. We're almost done. Verse 45, many of the people who were with Mary believed in Jesus when they saw this happen. Going back to uh, the, the previous scripture that we talked about, this is all done to bring glory to the Lord through Jesus. And not only did it strengthen the 12, not only did it strengthen those who believed in Jesus as being Messiah, but it also called others to believe that he was Messiah. Now, we're not going to go into all of this, uh, but it this led to the uh, the uh, Pharisees, which we'll read a little bit of that. So let's do that, and then I'll, I'll give commentary after that. But some went to the Pharisees and told them what Jesus had done. Then the leading priests and Pharisees called the high council together. So they called together the, the, the council, like, wait, let's get everybody together, all of the, the chief priests and everything. We got to have a meeting. Why are they having a meeting? Says, what are we going to do? What are we going to do about this Jesus situation? They ask each other. This man certainly performs many miraculous signs. So what are we going to do about this Jesus? He, he's doing all these miraculous signs. Mm, I would think follow him. That's just me. But no, that's not their answer. If we allow him to go on like this, soon everyone will believe in him. Then the Roman army will come and destroy both our temple and our nation. Now, reading that, that sounds like really important. It's like, oh man, it's going it's to mess up everything. The, the temple is going to be destroyed and our nation is going to be destroyed if people believe in this Jesus. You know, it's going to get the Romans all in our business. Again, on the surface, that sounds real good, but this is why we study and this is why we dig a little deeper. When they spoke about the temple, it was more so our place, our position. If they start believing him, then they're not going to really follow us and honor us the way that they have. Believing in him is going to shake up everything, and it does. Believing in Jesus shakes our world up. It turns it upside down. But actually, it turns it right side up because what we're doing now is backwards and it's uh, ineffective. But following Jesus, uh, though it may seem foolish to the world, we know it brings life and life everlasting. Let me see. I, I feel like it was something else I was going to say, but I may have already said it. Um, yeah, yeah. So they were they called together this high council to see what are we going to do about Jesus because he's messing everything up for us. The status quo is all out of whack because of people believing in Jesus. And this is what caused them to really start devising a plan, the, the religious power instead of saying oh he's doing all these miracles let's go follow him he's doing all these miracles that's taken away from us what are we going to do so that we can hold on to our power i know what we'll do we'll kill him this was really the the catalyst or the straw that broke the camel's back and caused them to put the plan in place to take jesus out 
why did he go and why did he do these things again it was to bring glory there was no way for jesus to fully glorify god if he just lived a life and died of natural causes he had to die he had to be uh murdered he had to be sacrificed for us and this led the way to that taking place again not going through everything but they looked to even kill uh lazarus because lazarus being alive was a uh a representation of god being glorified because here's a man who was dead for four days we know he was dead for four days i went to the, to the funeral i helped to seal the the uh tomb and he's walking and living now again bringing glory to god because of allowing the pain and the suffering and the death to take place so that god could be glorified so again jesus being our example follow his word to the t do what he says do it doesn't matter what things look like if what god has said to you is different follow him believe him hold fast to that now know that it's him you got to know that he said it. but if you know that you know that he said it then hold on to it because his word will not return to him void will you have people who hate on you to the point of wanting to kill you yes you will 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 the people that you love most doubt you yes they will Try not to allow those things, as Jesus did not, try not to allow that to cause you to go off course. Keep focus on what God has said to do and carry out his plan. All right, that is all that I have for today. Any more uh, questions or comments before we close things out? right well thank god thank god it uh as i say often uh whatever is good was the lord and all the the mess ups and uh mistakes i take full credit for all right well may god add a blessing to the readers hearers and doers of his word we pray that today's message has been a blessing and makes an eternal impact on your life Join us live on Sundays at 12.45 p.m. Central Time. If you're in the St. Louis metro area, we meet at 1060 Chambers Road, just off Bell Fountain Road, about a mile south of Highway 270. You can also join us via Zoom. The login number is 314-720-8880. You can call that number to reach someone on our ministry team or text the word CONNECT there to be in the note regarding upcoming events. Again, that number is 314-720-8880. Relationship Church is the whole life church, so come grow with us.